I need your help this week. If you can help me, I would certainly appreciate it. I'm a little bit intimidated by the live chat session that I've got to do tomorrow at noon on NOLA.com. I don't know who's going to write in what or say what. So if you will pitch me a softball. All right? If you'll just put on your calendar, noon, NOLA.com, and participate by being kind. It'll be a blessing. Okay, we got kids' worship. Yeah. Here's Miss Faye. Hello, Miss Faye. Miss Faye has been a busy person, and we're grateful for her. All our young people, not all of the young people, most of the young people are gone now. Some 40 of them, plus all the sponsors are gone. They've gone to camp in Greenville, South Carolina. They left at the end of the Bible study session today. But Beth came in, right? So it all evens out. So we want you to uh, help me out with that, okay? Some folks have asked when the book is coming out. It's supposed to be out July 7th. We are retweeting Jesus, going through the book of James. So that's our theme. I've got 12 messages planned. We're going to begin at the beginning and read every verse of the book of James all the way through and have comments about it as we retweet Jesus, that is, as we look at the allusions to Jesus in the book of James and pass them on to you, we want you to pass them on to others. So that's our strategy for getting the word out about this series, important series, on the book of James. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to start with the first word of the book of James. James is in the back of your Bible, right after the book of Hebrews. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a big word right there. We believe this is the half-brother of Jesus. It must have been hard for him as a brother of Jesus to come to faith in Christ, to saving faith. And we know he didn't reach that saving faith while Jesus was teaching. They really didn't believe that he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. Uh, the risen Lord appeared to his brother James. And we believe this is the one who wrote this book, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, very prominent in Acts 15. He's called one of the pillars of the church by the apostle Paul. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. As my mother would quote, or father would quote, let patience have her perfect work. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything 
from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. I was shaking off some tomato worms on my plants this morning. The tomato worms get up early. They work their way up to the top of the plant. They haven't eaten enough yet to turn green. They're still brown. You can see them pretty easy. The thing about a tomato worm is it can escape you simply by using the law of gravity. As soon as it feels a shimmer in the tomato plant, it'll drop. And when it drops, you will never find it again. All right? I have a picture of 60 big old fat tomatoes on my kitchen table. And uh, I have been giving them away. I have produced tomatoes in my backyard like you wouldn't believe. I love having a garden because it's full of illustrations and wonderful teachings. And as I use garden illustrations and animal illustrations, I'm actually following James and Jesus in this practice. It's why we have the Twitter bird, the sparrow, on the wall in this teaching session. It's because everywhere you turn in Jesus' teaching and also in James, you find wildflowers, wind, and waves. Now, we live in air-conditioned comfort, but James and Jesus, they didn't live in air-conditioned comfort. They lived, as a matter of course, outdoors every day. Some people think that Joseph, while he lived in Nazareth, worked in the thriving metropolis of Zippori, which was six miles away. And that every morning he got up and walked through six miles of bees and blossoms and sparrows on his way to work. And it is likely that James and Jesus accompanied their dad. We know that Jesus is called a carpenter, right? Not just his dad, but Jesus himself. So probably they participated in the construction business in Zippori. And they spent time walking through the countryside every day. It's where they lived. And it's why all these agricultural metaphors emerge in the Bible. And you'll actually understand James and Jesus a little bit better if you pay attention to your own backyard and the blossoms that are blooming there and all the little creatures that inhabit your backyard. And if you'll pay attention, you'll begin to praise God for all the little things that he's provided you along the way as a matter of course in the beautiful world in which we live. And you will give thanks every day for these little blessings that are just everywhere around us. Sometimes life gets tough for everybody everywhere. No matter who you are, where you live, you encounter trials. James knows that. He wants you to be steady in trials. He wants you to be sturdy. He doesn't want you to be blown by the wind when trouble comes your way. He doesn't want you to go this way and that. 
He wants you to stand tall and straight when trouble comes. And it does to all of us. I sat on the plane. A lady from Baltimore sat down beside me before we finished the trip. She was crying so profusely, she said, please, I'm sorry. Tears just flowing, telling me about her pain. I talked to her about the loving father, tried to comfort her, and also point her to Jesus as Savior and to put her faith in Christ. She was very emotional about her pain. And I talked to her a little bit about your pain is changing you, the book that's going to be out. And I finally gave her a copy of the Times-Picayune that I had in my briefcase so she would remember what title it was because she said she wanted to get it. I got to the convention center and I was passing out little copies of the book, just excerpts from the book. And here comes one of the first ladies to the desk and she picks it up and she starts telling me her story of pain and starts to cry. Now, I've had lots of tears in my office, so much so that I keep a box of Kleenex there for me and for the person who might be telling me their story. And tears are okay, but it's one of those unintended consequences of writing about suffering is I think I'm going to experience more tears than I used to. In fact, a major part of my story is tearful. I describe Rebecca in her pain, and she says to me, I've lost eight pounds in the last few days in PDICU. And I thought to myself, and then later said it, that's about what a gallon of tears weighs. And I think you've lost that many tears. Did you see the movie where a dying man motions to a boy and he comes up and he says, catch my tears. And he catches his tears in a flask. And those tears hold the story of his greatest loves and his greatest sorrows. That's true about you. Do you know that God catches your tears? The Bible says he's saving up the tears of the saints that those tears are precious to him. And when you cry in the night, nobody knows, God knows, and he saves those tears. God also promises there's coming a day when you're going to live in a place where there are no more tears. No pain, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no more tears. We look forward to that day when there'll be no more tears. And we live in the present with a sturdy faith in a good God who makes his promise to us that we are going to be with him and he is going to care for us. In fact, in the present trouble that you're in, in the sorrow that you may be experiencing or the bereavement or the diagnosis you just got, consider it Pure joy, if you follow the teaching of James, when you fall into various trials, when they happen to you, they are a surprise to you, they come upon you unexpectedly, you're not prepared, what should I do in the midst of this trouble? One of the things you got to do is consider it pure joy. And it doesn't sound right at first. 
to think that I should be joyful in tribulation. But of course, James is quoting Jesus here. It is the teaching of Jesus. Rejoice. Be exceeding glad when trouble comes upon you, when persecution happens to you. Why? Great is your reward in heaven. You're just like the prophets in the Old Testament. You need to rejoice and be glad even in this trouble. It's not because the trouble is good. It's not because the bereavement is good. It's because God is good always in the middle of your trouble. And a good God has promised you a wonderful future. And you hang on to that when the sorrow comes and the difficulty comes. Consider it joy when you experience this pain. The joy of the Lord is the strength of his people. That's a quote from the Bible. The joy of the Lord is the strength of his people. How did Jesus endure the cross? The writer of Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. If you lose your joy, brother, you're going to lose your strength. Not far behind the loss of joy will be the loss of strength. Sister, if you lose your joy, you're going to stop being steady in a world where your children and your spouse and your friends need you to be steady. How are you going to be steady in trial? You're going to keep your joy. How do you do that? Focusing on all God's goodness and his wonderful promises to you. That's how you do it. God's doing something in you, even in the sorrow, even in the trouble. God's working his grace in you. If you'll be patient, if you'll be persevering in the midst of your trouble, then God's going to work a positive and wonderful change in you that will be a testimony and witness to the people who watch your life, like the children and grandchildren in your life and your neighbors and friends and the people you pray for every day. They're going to see you in the trouble and it's going to be a testament to them that you've held steady. Be steady in trials. It's perseverance that is the companion of faith. So trust the good God. Don't waver on this. Don't get bitter in trial. Don't let sadness become the theme of your life. You go on living no matter what's happened and you live in the joy of the Lord. That's what James is saying. That's what he wants his people to do. That's God's call on your life. Don't let the past capture you and imprison you and disable your witness and your abundant life. Consider it joy when the inevitable trouble comes upon you. Ask God for wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, James says, well, people in trouble sometimes feel like the dumbest people on the planet. Because sometimes when you're in trouble, you know it's your fault and you're saying to yourself, what was I thinking? 
I had a mental lapse. This is an intellectual problem. I have done something stupid, and now look at my life. See, when you're on top of the world, you may think you're the smartest guy in the whole business. You know, you've made more money than anybody. You are something. It's when you have heartache and trouble and sorrow and failure that comes your way that you start needing wisdom. And it's not just a way out, and it's not just an answer. It's not like a pill that cures the problem. You need wisdom that is a way to make it through this day and stay in your skin as a child of God. A way to get through this problem and not get overturned and get plunged underwater and lose your bearings. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So you get ready to go to an important interview. You have an opportunity to talk to the governor or senator. And what you work on on the way there while you're in the car is the ask. Because you don't want to go to this important person and not deliver the ask that's on your heart and the reason for your visit, and you want to do it well. So you hone the ask. You do the same with God. You go into his presence. You want to ask him. And what do you really need in the trouble you're in? You need wisdom. The problem is that some people think God's main job is finding fault. Some people think that's what God's up to in the world, that basically he's pointing out what's wrong with us. And every time we come into his presence, God wants to point out what's wrong with us. He finds fault with us. And James, who is a a tremendous preacher and teacher on deeds and works, says if you will ask God, he gives generously without finding fault. Isn't that great? Don't you like that? To everybody in the room who went around the time and place of prayer because you were afraid that God was going to put you in your place, I want you to hear James again. Ask of God who gives generously without finding fault. It's almost impossible to comprehend, isn't it? It's like you can't get really, you really can't get there. Your mind can't get around it. You've always thought of God as finding fault, and here he says, James says, that's not what God's up to when you come to him in prayer and you have the ask for him. He loves to give generously without finding fault. If you go to the Father, the earthly Father, and he always finds fault, maybe you stop going. Years ago, I came upon the legend of the famous Madame of Storyville. Her story is memorialized in a tomb across the interstate over here in Metairie Cemetery. This tomb originally housed the bones of Storyville's most famous Madame, who, when she was a teenager, came home late and after curfew. And the legend says she knocked on the door and her father would not open the door for her. 
and the legend of this madam who was a true figure in New Orleans history is that she turned from this closed door to live a life on the streets of New Orleans. Some people think that when they get to God's door, it's closed. They're too late. No use knocking. He won't open. It's over for you. It's over for me. We've gone too far. We've done too many bad things. He's not going to open the door. You remember the famous verse that we always quote, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is talking about standing at the door and knocking the door of our heart. If anybody opens the door, I will come into him. Do you remember that? And Jesus says, if you open the door, I'm going to set a table for two inside of you and we're going to have conversation together and fellowship together if you open the door. And that's a great verse about being open to the work of God. Somebody here today might need to just open the door. You hear, you hear Jesus knocking? If you open the door, he'll come in. And it'll be sweet fellowship between you and him. You know what the next part of that, that Bible book is? It's Revelation 4.1, where John, who after he talks about opening your door to Christ, he says, and I looked up and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the voice that had been talking to me said come up here hey there was a door open in heaven there's a door open for you in heaven God's door is not closed that's why Jesus said come to me all you who are laboring and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God's not going to close the door on your face. Ask. And the gracious giving God will not find fault but will provide for you what you need. Can you believe it? There are people who have done a 180 with God's character and they believe he is the God who closes the door and always finds fault and if they are a prodigal who has gotten away from the father and squandered their living in years of living outside of his will if they come back they're going to find the door closed and God won't let them in and that's what they think of God Jesus was trying to correct this terrible misconception that is so unfair and untrue to the character of God by telling the story of the prodigal son where the father who has lost his son, this son has chosen to go his own way. He squandered his life outside of the father's will. This father watches the horizon every day for the coming of his son. He knows his gait. He knows his walk. He scans the horizon. He's watching down the road. And when he first appears, he recognizes his son. He runs all the way to him. And the son has his speech well prepared where he's going to say, I've been an awful son, but I need a job and he can't even finish his speech because the father throws his arms around him and they kill the fatted calf and he gives him the robe and he gives him the ring and he restores him fully to the father's house that's God that's good isn't it that's God God's door is open to you 
He's not the God who finds fault primarily. He's the God who loves you fiercely, passionately, more than your mind can comprehend. He is driven by love to pursue you all your life, even to this moment. To this woman who was sitting beside me on the plane, I said, my presence in this seat beside you is God's pursuit of you. Say, you didn't think this was accidental, did you? She said, I never pray to God or Jesus. I only pray to Mary because I know she cares about me. And I said to her, your priest wouldn't want you to say that, would he? And she said, no, he wouldn't want me to say that. And I said to her, you know how much the Father in heaven loves you? Do you know what what a disservice you do to him by supposing that he doesn't want to hear from you, that he's only finding fault? (laughs) It was a wonderful moment to help her know the love of God for her. And if you will bring in this truth to your heart that the creator who made you and made everything around you is centered in love, in passionate love for you, that the door is open from you to him, you will correct a misconception you have not only about the character of God but about the universe in which you live For upon the throne of this universe sits this kind of God who loves to welcome the prodigal home. And he configured all things so they come to their summation in his wonderful son, Jesus. And truly you have misunderstood not only God but life itself when you think God is the fault finder instead of the love giver. Ask God for wisdom. Be steady in trials. Know that he cares for you. Believe. Don't doubt Believe, believe that God is good. Sometimes it's hard in the middle of your trouble to keep believing. Sometimes you wish you could go back to when you were 14 and you had such a simple faith and maybe you thought it was a strong faith and a pure faith and now life has buffeted you and the winds have come and the waves have come and the sun has been scorching you down and you don't feel like your faith is strong anymore but I'm I'm going to tell you that a tested faith is stronger than an innocent faith. That a faith that comes through trials is stronger than a faith that's never endured heartache and hardship and that your faith is stronger than you realize it is if you'll just take a look at it and start exercising it, living in it, walking in it, believing God is good. Say it to yourself when the trouble comes, when the heartache comes, when the tears come. Say it to yourself.
People always ask about Graham. How's Graham doing? Got an email from the editor. He wanted to know how Graham was doing. Graham's doing great. Graham's doing fine. Graham's still a little behind in his motor skills and his vocalizations like he was before the accident. But at 18 months, he's a delightful child engaged in interest. I'm so grateful God left him in our lives. I'm grateful that I'm able to tell his story. I'm grateful that when his mother brings him to my house, he leaps from her arms into mine. And I leap into God's. That's where I stayed. It was the only place I could stay. That's where I go. When the trouble comes down hard, you find a place in the heart of God where there is peace. And that's where you stay when the storm is raging. And there is joy in that place, even though the circumstances are difficult. And there is perseverance in that place, even though the wind is blowing. God gives his strength in the middle of the trouble. Believe, don't doubt. Anybody who doubts the goodness of God, the activity of God, the love of God for you in your circumstances, you're going to be tossed this way and that just like a wave on the Sea of Galilee. My brothers and I, climbed into a 16-foot boat. It was a wooden boat, didn't have a motor in it, but there were two oars that were worthless in a wind that was probably howling at 30 or 40 miles an hour, but that's why we were in the boat, because we thought it'd be neat to be in the boat when the wind is blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. That sounded like a good thing. So we got in the boat, it was tied to the dock, and we just rocked it back and forth, and we were just having such a good time because it was tied to the dock, and then it came untied from the dock. And the wind was way too strong for us to row against. And we wasted our energy trying, but we finally gave up. And the wind blew us all the way to the south shore of Leaf Lake in the middle of that storm. And we had to make our way back along the shoreline, just picking our way back in that storm to the cabin that we had on the lake. That happened when I was like 10 or 11 years old. Still remember it to this day. I'm confident there's somebody here in the room that ended up on the wrong shore, driven by the wind and waves. And you've ended up in a place you never thought you'd be, so far from where you used to be spiritually. And sometimes you ask yourself, how did I get here? And for some of you, you're making your way back, and it's been a long journey. You can trust the God who made you and sent his son to rescue you. And you can trust that even now, in the middle of your life journey, he is drawing you to himself and his door is wide open. 
Bow with me, please. Somebody in this room needs to come to the Father who loves you like a prodigal and say, Lord, I've been away a long time, but I believe your door is open and I'm ready to come in. Would you pray that prayer to God? Somebody here thought God was a fault finder and you avoided coming to him and the Holy Spirit's now teaching you that he's the love giver and he loves you. And when you come to him, he'll receive you. Lord, I pray today that in the middle of our journey and sometimes our storm, that we will turn to you as the one we can trust, as a good God who never changes. And in your unchanging grace, you can steady us in the storm and trouble we're in. You can steady us not only for our own sake, but for the sake of all the people who love us and count on us. God, I pray for that man or woman for whom sadness has fallen like a blanket upon their life. That today, God, you would resurrect the idea, the possibility of joy in a daily journey of faith. And Lord, that you would bring that person back to the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. I pray for moms and dads who feel like they've messed up. Maybe dads today who came in guilty, worried about their performance as a father. God, today that we'd be able to receive your wonderful, vast forgiveness and know the passion of your love for us, no matter what we've done or who we are. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Change us like you want to, even in this moment of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.